0: Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay parker hi i'm Lindsay parker from yahoo entertainment and sirius xm volume and welcome to another fabulous episode of totally 80s since we're all at home why not take a second to follow us at totally 80s on facebook and instagram or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally 80s.com you can also check us out on video on our totally 80s youtube channel so check that out if you are so inclined and if you're watching us right now on the video. Here we, I'm waving to you right now. Thanks for watching. So joining me today as always is my partner in all things eighties, the other John Hughes.
1: What is going on, Lindsay? I've been prepping for today's episode
0: your whole life.
1: My whole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, I don't actually feel like you probably had to do too much research for this one. I don't think our guests will have to either. We are going to be talking about divas of the 80s. The 80s were a good time for the ladies. It's going to be ladies' night here at Totally 80s. And our special guest today to talk about 80s divas is I can't think of someone, you know, when I was trying to think of who'd be a guest, this was absolutely top on my list. He is a celebrating musician. DJ and humanitarian whose new album Fun City hit number one on the UK dance chart, along with number three on the UK independent album chart. And he is open for the following people, Elton John, Erasure, Ellie Goulding, and on topic with today's theme, share. And that new album Fun City features a whole bunch of guest appearances, including Jake Shears, Andy Bell from Erasure, and again, staying on topic, Nikki Harris and Donna Delory, who are the iconic backup singers for Madonna's Like a Prayer, Vogue, uh, late 80s, early 90s era. So he is absolutely an expert in this. In real life, he goes by the name of Rod Thomas, but you guys may know him better as Bright Light, Bright Light. So we are ha- happy to welcome Bright Light, Bright Light, a.k.a. Rod Thomas to Totally hey, 80s. There. Hello.
2: Thank you for having me. I actually just have to uh, stop a glorious 80s record on my record player uh, um, to Grace do this Jones. podcast. So it actually finished on the last song just before I had to sign in. So Perfect. very uh, serendipitous.
0: Grace Jones, one of my favorite 80s divas and my favorite Bond girl.
2: Uh, m- the most iconic Bond girl, like just completely amazing, isn't it? Like wild. And my favorite vampire, I think.
0: My yeah. favorite pretty much everything. Well, I'll cut to the chase. Is she your, I was one of the questions that I was going to ask and we'll get into all the The great divas of the 80s but is that your number one
2: you know what i find an 80s diva really hard to uh to whittle down to even a top five because it's just an excellent decade for strong female pop disco electro fusion women like it's it's there are so many strong figures and so many incredibly inspiring um, solo artists and front women from that era that it's it's so difficult. She's definitely my um, my favorite like catalog artist I think from early to late eighties. Mm-hmm. Like I can't fault really any of those records, especially the one that she did with um, Nile Rodgers. The uh, Inside Story, my favorite. Oh, yeah, I'm not perfect. It's great. So good.
0: I always love that line. Like, I'm not, I remember hearing that line when I was a little kid. I think I saw the video on MTV. Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect for you. And I'm like, that's a badass line to say. Yeah, it's a slam
2: as well, isn't it? It's like, I'm not perfect, but you don't even deserve that. So I'm fine (laughs) for you. (laughs) So good.
0: She was great. But let's actually, I agree with you, Rod, that the 80s were a great time for the ladies to shine. But I'd like to set some parameters about the term let's define what diva means because you know over the years that has actually that term has taken on a negative connotation that's a woman who's quote-unquote difficult or high maintenance or has a bad attitude or is a bitch or whatever and that I feel that's unfair I'd like to really reclaim the word diva what is a diva and what what differentiates a diva from just you know a female artist or a female pop artist or whatever is it is it the vocals because you know we think of the the Whitney's or getting into, you know, the nineties, the Mariah's and the Celine's. But then, you know, if you see, I'm wearing a Madonna shirt,
1: yeah. my
0: number one diva, and I absolutely consider her a diva is Madonna. Um, but I mean, this with absolutely no shade. Madonna's, you know, claim to fame. Was it that she was a powerhouse singer? She's a good singer, but she's not a Whitney, you know? Mm-hmm. So what makes a diva a diva?
2: For me, it's like iconic moments, Whether that's a vocal performance, a song, something like a catwalk runway look, um, a collaboration, a cultural moment, which could be something from, you know, the girly show, or it could be Grace Jones appearing in a TV commercial, or it could be like France Jolie stepping in for Donna Summer on Fire Island uh, when Donna Summer pulled out. Um, it could be Aretha Franklin recording a song with George Michael and he never recorded anybody else's songs from scratch, but they did that. And it was a huge number one. It could be, uh, Janet Jackson just releasing like an incredibly powerful social justice record, which also happened to be a a gigantic pop record. I think it's like going beyond just the, the person and going beyond just the song. It's something that like flicks a switch culturally that, um, more people were aware of than were aware of just that artist before it happened.
0: I think that's a good way of putting it. I would. I, for some reason, wrote down. I think if you're you ha- you're not a diva if you don't have at least one song that could be lip-synced to on RuPaul's Drag Race.
2: <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a good category. That's a- <laughs>
0: Like, if drag queens lip-sync to you on Drag Race, or even just, you know, in drag clubs at Mickey's and West Hollywood, whatever, if, if you're on that, like, playlist of drag queen lip-syncs, particularly if you have one iconic song that is going to make the place erupt, then you're on the diva list.
1: Yeah. That's why Stacey Q is a diva. <laughs> she is a diva. She really is a diva.
0: Is Samantha what? Fox a diva? Because people oh, might- Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's there's and, tears. Drunken, there's tears. And
1: throw tears. throw drunken karaoke in there. If you do, okay. if you can do "Naughty Girls Need Love Too," then yeah, you're a diva. Well, you,
0: which there's is obviously. An amazing yeah, <laughs> but there's obviously tears here because we're like, you know, um, we just mentioned like Grace Jones and Aretha Franklin and Samantha Vox and Stacy Q all within the same couple <laughs> minutes. So obviously <laughs> there are echelons, and uh, we should probably start at the top. Um, who would you say? I know. I, guess we, I think we should kind of start with Madonna because there were, yeah. we've done actually a whole podcast for Totally 80s just about Madonna. So for further listening, go check that out on totally80s.com slash podcast. But I think that's a good uh, place to start because of the fact, Rod, you had Nikki and Donna from a really um, very important era of Madonna's career sing on your album, Fun City. So, well, first of all, why don't we talk about what made you bring them in, and then we can kind of get into that that era of Madonna, that "Like a Prayer" era, that end yeah. of the eighties is such an important era for her.
2: So the reason I got them in was I was making an album that I wanted to fill with inspiring people from the LGBTQ plus world, but also bearing in mind that plus, which is you know like the the a LGBTQIA and the plus, where it's people who push really hard as allies, which I believe Nikki and Donna did explicitly and implicitly through all of their work with Madonna and they really embody for me, like the kind of like eighties, nineties crossover of like the Shep Pettibone and the house dance scene into like mainstream chart success, uh, incredible, like iconic diva stage presence. Even the backing singers were divas like wild. Right. Um, and then that Nikki went on to to be the vocalist for Snap and Donna's gone on to do so many different projects. Donna also lended her vocals to horror movies in the eighties, which I'm uh, a very big fan of, like trash horror. So she was on my radar on another level. Um and then I was making this track and the producer I got this guy initial talk to remix this acapella basically that I sent him and he made it sound so much like New York in the early nineties that I thought like, who could I get as a guest that would be a perfect fit for that Nikki and Donna? And they were up for it. So, so yeah. And I, I think Madonna is a great starting point for this eighties uh, diva. Cause she was, I'm actually two weeks younger than her entire music career. I was yeah. born. I was born two weeks after her debut single came out.
0: After everybody or after holiday? After, after everybody. everybody. Yeah, you know, when you say debut, I know you have the knowledge that you're referring to everybody as her yeah. after debut single. Well, yeah. So your careers flourished. You know, you, you evolved together. Um, but I mentioned at the top of the show that you're a, a DJ and mm-hmm. you you like do like whole Madonna sets, right? Yes. I tuned in for one on uh, Twitch, I believe.
2: Yeah. So before quarantine and everything was locked down, I I do like a weekly party um, in the East Village every week. It's a Saturday, 3 till 8 p.m. Every so often I would do one artist only. And I did a couple of Madonna ones and we did some in Brooklyn as well. Uh, a couple of Mariah, a couple of Kylie Minogue um, and a few like George Michael and a few others. The Madonna one, the attendance was each time it was wild. Like there were queues around the block at like 3 p.m. People would come in, they would be like singing like supernatural lyrics. They would be singing like, you know, till death do Us part, like screaming when like- um, I'm so
0: happy you brought up that song. I, that's actually one of my favorite songs by her.
2: Uh, it's So good. It's I can't believe that that wasn't a single and Dia Jesse was honestly. I cannot, like, I can't process that fact. Um, <laughs> maybe- you're talk to people at Rhino, I think, John. And, like, that out.
1: I wish I was at Sire back in the day. I had yeah,
2: <laughs> But that was a top five UK single. It was. I believe.
1: Yeah, Dear Jesse was top five in the UK. Top so, five. She we, also,
2: Erotica, was Christmas
1: number three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. We, <laughs> we, go deep, we go deep here on this podcast. So what's your yeah. favorite Madonna non-single? Time Stood
2: Still from the film... Uh, next best thing. I think the film is oh, absolute wow. monstrosity. Mm-hmm. Um, But that song I think is really one of her finest um, ballads. I think that was William Orbit as well. It was really cool. Sorry, it's not 80s. Um,
0: what would be but, your favorite 80s deep cut? Okay. Oh, uh ain't no big deal.
1: Amazing. <laughs> the whole first album. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go ain't no,
2: ain't yeah. no big deal. It's, it's really such a good song. I can't believe that didn't make the album cut. That's awesome.
1: Right?
0: I'm going to yeah. go with Till Death Do Us Part, though. It's like, obviously, Amazing. Madonna. Madonna's evolved evolution from 83 when the first album came out, which had such a huge impact on me. I mean, look at me. It still does. How many chains am I wearing around my neck right now? Mm-hmm. I just remember seen you know the album cover even before i really knew she was because um you know i heard holiday first i heard holiday before i heard everybody and i didn't you know it was on the radio and we didn't really know what she looked like to be honest i actually thought she was a black artist when i first
1: everyone did everyone thought she was black
0: were they trying to market her that way or not so what she looked like
1: she's not on the single sleeve yeah Uh, it it went to black radio first so absolutely okay
0: so I wasn't alone. I just I don't know why I thought that. I don't know if it was the sound of her voice or whatever local radio station was playing her because I do believe they might have been playing her on the R and B station in LA, like uh, K-Day or whatever. Um, but I didn't know what she looked like until I saw the album cover, and she had, um, you know, the the tuft of blonde hair. And actually, the first time I actually saw her was the Lucky Star video. I've talked about right. this before. It, the Lucky Star video on utter IRS is the cutting edge that was the first time I saw her and then I saw the album cover with you know all the jewelry and her class beat her face and all the I just was like this chick is badass and you know like I actually it's weird to me that when they marketed her they wouldn't have marketed her right away with strong imagery because she's such a fashion icon from the beginning
1: the marketing was all over the place at the beginning because you know you saw it on IRS is the cutting edge which was about independent yeah. um, artists and oh, all trunk artists.
0: That's why I yeah. thought she was that. She was I, that, actually, in her own way.
1: And I first saw the video for Burning Up. That's where I we mm-hmm. saw it where she's, you know, she looks like, I was going to say she looks like Kylie. Kylie looks like her yeah, later on. In the, in the, out of my head, she's got the same white hoodie kind of thing going on. And uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before mm-hmm. the video was like you know it was almost rock so they didn't know what they were doing or maybe it was by design who knows they were trying to hit everybody
0: but yeah but then by true blue she's sort of doing kind of like a 50s maryland thing and then by the time um like a prayer comes out which has still death to us part to bring it back to that that's actually like the first record where i think people who were still doubting her staying power had to stop doubting and had to be like okay
2: yeah this was a i career mean we're not- artist. That single, Like A Prayer, I mean, that's just such a nuclear bomb of a track, isn't it? Just like, you can't believe that somebody like her, given all of the kind of like controversy and like, oh, she's just like a pop girl that's like not really doing stuff. And then she drops that and it's just like, oh my God. Like, yes, like it's amazing.
0: And that she was, was brunette. So I was like, oh, my God, she's not. The blonde ambition woman is not blonde. But mm-hmm. well, actually, I think blonde ambition, I can't remember the order. Blonde ambition came a little bit afterwards, right? But yeah. we knew her as this blonde bombshell. And then she, like, you know, had looked different. You know, and obviously she's someone who's kept us guessing throughout the-, the 90s and the 2000s. But one thing that I have sort of realized, especially from covering American Idol, as much as I've covered, it's like all the pop girls get who came after her get compared to her and are like, like when Britney comes out or whoever comes out, it's like, you're either one of the two, you're either the next Madonna or you're the next Whitney. If you're like a big power singer, you get compared to Whitney. I'm talking like when the nineties and the two thousands came. And if you were more like the sexy pop woman, it's like, but there's only one Madonna and there's only one Whitney.
1: You were there at the time. Rod's way too young to remember this, but when Madonna came came out, it was, Madonna and Cyndi Lauper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there It was like, who's going to have the lasting power? And Lindsay, you probably remember everybody's money on Cyndi Lauper.
0: Yeah. I I mean, it it pisses me off in general, why the media feels the need to do that with women. They did, they did that with Britney and Christina in the Mm nineties. They even did it with like, I remember when Lady Gaga and Katy Perry came out around the same time, you know, they obviously do it with people like Nikki and Cardi B. They do it all the time, but yes, In the 80s, Madonna and Cyndi Lauper's albums, if I'm not mistaken, came out the same year or within a year of each other.
1: 83, yep.
0: And they were were both very different, both definitely divas, but very different. And I think because, well, you know, like technically Cyndi Lauper is a better singer. Like that's a fact. Like she's just, Cyndi Lauper's a powerhouse singer. Madonna is not. But I think the fact that maybe Cyndi Lauper wasn't sexy, like, Sell, selling herself, um, uh, being sexually driven, having the sexuality out there was not Cindy's thing. While Madonna was, like, rolling around the floor and, you know, scantily clad and in her underwear, you know, Cindy Lauper, was she so unusual? And she was, like, weird. And she had, like, the you know, she was cutesy. And
1: by the time they tried that with I Drove All Night uh, and Hat Full a of Stars," It's great song. Top 10 hit, number eight. But, you know, you see the video where she's naked and, you know, she's kind of covering oh, yeah. herself. Like, oh, Cindy, what's going on here?
0: I think she was naked in the True Colors video in some kind of silhouetted situation. But anyway, her (laughs) thing wasn't... So, yeah, the, the critics were sort of like, oh, Cindy's the, you know, the real artist and Madonna is the flash in the pan and, you know call us in 20 years and, and they both ended up having a great careers. you know cindy lopper is a tony winner cindy lopper won best new artist at the grams i just interviewed cindy lopper the other day i almost cried i just couldn't oh. believe i was talking to her she both of these women meant a lot to me growing up because i mean like i said they were both very different but they both basically not to sound all cliched but taught us it was okay to be yourself you know madonna taught me it was okay to be sexy not in a way both of them basically taught me it was okay to be yourself not for the male gaze like madonna was sexy and of course guys liked her for that reason a lot a lot of guys didn't though i don't actually remember being in school and having a lot of guys say they thought madonna was hot because she was threatening you know and she was kind of scrappy and kind of a street urchin in in the beginning you know she got more glamorous later but and no one thought cindy Lauper was hot you know and i'm sure she didn't care um i but i just loved her i mean i have like my mom like make. Clad pants for me, you know. She like went to the, yeah. she like, and I just you know I wanted a prom dress, and like I was like raiding my mother and grandmother's closets for like '50s outfits and stuff. But the one thing I remember that's kind of funny when Cindy Lauper first came out. Well, I one of the things that you know I just like the fact that unlike I love Madonna for my own reasons, she's my number one. But like Cindy Lauper was leading with the whole like quirky thing, like her albums called she's so unusual she was like hanging out with wrestlers you know and there's the video for time after time that i almost will cry if i even start talking about it where she has to like leave her small town and leave her boyfriend because like she wants to be her weird ass self and like you know Mm -hmm. no one accepts her that way like you know the scene there's a lot of scenes in 80s music videos where someone takes off a hat and someone's upset about the weird hair. There's Amy Mann in the mm-hmm. Till Tuesday video. But when she takes off her beret and she's got like the striped, the uh, the shaved head, Cindy and the orange hair and her boyfriend's like, what the hell, what have you done to yourself? Mm-hmm. So she leaves and she gets all the trade and I'm like sobbing. And I still like, get emotional seeing that video. But she was, I love the fact that she loved with her quirkiness but I do remember being at the orthodontist waiting for my turn and I was reading like people or Us Weekly or something and there was like a little profile on her. She was like Girls this one phone it was just getting big and it said she was 30 years old. And that blew she my was, child mind. Was I was older. like
1: older, yes, I'm for like, sure. Cindy
0: Lopper is old. Yeah. But actually it didn't bother me. I was like, oh she is like uh Iona in pretty and pretty in pink you know she's like someone who's old yes, meaning over 30 pink. who's gonna show that when you turn 30 you don't just like roll over and die and start shopping at Chico's, you know? So like mm-hmm. I just loved her. And she could she, sing her face off.
1: You gotta be honest though, and, and it's interesting we have Rod here because you can give a perspective. H- has it aged well? Because I know every single Cindy Lauper song from the 80s. You probably do, but I don't know if younger people know. Sorry Rod, I keep calling you younger
2: <laughs> They younger. definitely they definitely know girls just wanna have fun and they definitely know time after time.
1: Yeah. Beyond beyond that I, mean, I don't I, like, know. What
0: about Shebop? the it, masturbation sh- song?
1: If I threw "Change of Heart" at you, you'd probably go, "What?" But then, yeah, no, oh. like, I know them. I know them. Oh, but, but like, you know
0: everything. Do, but do
2: kids, like the new what? generation of kids, know? They don't know shebop. They, it never gets played anywhere. I've never heard it in public other than when I've DJ'd it.
0: It's
2: do, you a a sh- theor-
0: do you have a theory <laughs> as to why? I mean, like I said, both of them and both Madonna and cindy Lauper in this fake battle that was created. Uh, you know, ended up having respect, very respectable careers. But I guess if you're declaring a winner, Madonna won by a lot. Um, Well,
2: she just had bigger hit singles, didn't she? You know, Cindy's chart performance stats for like singles were very up and down, Mm -hmm. especially in the UK. But like Madonna's were all top five, I think.
1: I also think the production plays a big role in it. Uh, Madonna, you know, while they're sequencers and things, it still sounds somewhat timeless. Whereas the Rick Chernoff production on the Sydney Lauper stuff is very much 1984. It's very much 1985. You hear those gated mm-hmm. stairs. You hear those sequencers bopping along. And you're like, oh, I know what year this is.
0: I have yeah. a theory. It was the wrestling. It was wrestling yeah. metro. So, <laughs> yeah. So she was ahead of her time because we all love Glow now. We're all very sad. Glow's fourth season on Netflix got canceled. And I was watching, John, I'm sure you too were watching the original actual Glow in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but like Cindy Lauper was already like a lot of '80s artists, actually, kind of skirting that line of novelty by how her videos looked and how she dressed and how she was kooky. And as the I just goonies. Made
1: the Goonies was- are good enough.
0: Well, that's yeah, but yeah, I, I bet actually, uh, Rod has some thoughts about her Goonies theme. <laughs> Not really. I
2: don't. I don't ever think about that song.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, but anyway,
1: it, it was again, number five. Was in it? The, yeah. yeah. And you're yeah, like, well, yeah. it, you're yeah. like, how did the songs get so high?
0: <laughs> to, to sum up, I think she already was a bit kind of people skirting that like novelty thing, even though, like I said, initially critics were putting their money on her having more staying power. And then she did all this rock and wrestling connection stuff where mm-hmm. she like, where like Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper were like fighting over her and yeah. like, Lou Albano was like her manager and she got like really into the wrestling world. And in retrospect, that actually seems really friggin' cool. And you can find these old specials on YouTube and stuff. But I do remember at the time people were like, what are you doing? And yeah. I do actually think her credibility went down and MTV was completely on board. They were airing these specials, but I think that was, that was the thing, but she did win best new artists that year. She won it over. She Lee, the Juds. Corey Hart and someone you care a lot about John Frankie goes to Hollywood she be Frankie I, goes to Hollywood damn. Oh, it, uh,
1: it had to be 85 right
0: <laughs> yeah the best, uh, yeah the best new the best Grammys that were in like February
1: of 85 yeah. US, yeah of course you know which is just speaks oh. to the Grammys two years too late she was she came out in 83 so that says you need to know about the Grammys
0: yeah I actually do vaguely remember when she won. Not, I don't, I say this with no shade. I do vaguely remember when she won already thinking like she was kind of not over, but that had, she had peaked. And, but now I have, I mean, she means so much to me and uh, I completely think she's a diva because, you know, divas can be many things. Let's move on to someone that I, we've already mentioned that uh, I know is really near and dear to our hearts. And that's Kylie Minogue. Now, Rod, do you, have you ever I know because, you know, you've worked with Jake Shears. Jake Shears is on your record, Fun City, and Jake Shears is in tight with Kylie and has played with her and stuff. Have you ever crossed paths with Kylie or, or collaborated with her in any way? Yeah,
2: loosely. So I did a show in 2016 or 2015. I honestly can't remember. COVID feels like 25 years itself. Um, I did a show in Hyde Park, which was uh, on a like kind of festival, two-stage festival, and it was me years and years Chic, Grace Jones and Kylie Minogue.
0: Holy thought, shit. So
2: yeah, we were all backstage. We, didn't, we weren't together, but we were like, you know, in little Winnebago things very close to each other. Didn't actually say hi or anything. Like, you know, people doing their own thing. But um, that was, we were on a, a bill together. Wow. I did produce a, a demo for her for the last album. Um, but then they changed it and it went country. So all wow. of those songs got scrapped, which is a shame because it was a really gorgeous song. I didn't write it, just produced it. Um, but to date, no official collaboration.
0: Well, let's talk so, about her her 80s output. Obviously, I think probably her, her more uh, glory years were after the 80s in terms of like the critical respect or whatever. But I mean, you know, when we're talking about someone who people maybe didn't think, would have staying power. I will admit when the locomotion came out and she was the actress from Neighbors, I'm not going to say I was like this. I'll be seeing her at the Hollywood Bowl in 2011. Like that did not cross my mind. I did not take her seriously. Uh, But she obviously made like an incredible transition through the 90s. She had this like weird, 90s, almost like kind of indie rock phase where she, you know, did the song with Nick Cave and she had like guys from Manic Street Preachers like producing her album Impossible Princess, which is a really weird blip in her, not weird in a bad way but just definitely an anomaly in her discography. But yeah, I guess I thought she'd kind of end up more like Samantha Fox. Let's talk about how she went from being kind of this you know, actress who, soap soap opera actress trying to take a stab at a pop career to being like one of the greatest divas of all time. In my opinion,
1: we know yeah. we the UK made out with Kylie literally. I mean, they, she was huge. We missed out us wise. We got locomotion, you know, number eight hit. I should be so lucky. Probably one of her best songs of that era was not a hit here.
0: But mm. Rod's from the UK. So what insight yeah. do you have into, she's like absolutely the queen over there.
2: She, yeah, she is probably, I would say the most loved pop star that the uk cherishes Mm -hmm. um she was so huge in the 80s like people just fell in love with her completely fell in love with her like loved every single song all the singles up until the early 90s were all like top 10 um if not close to number one people just loved her she was so friendly and so nice and so smiley and so warm she was like you know she was like a kind of sex symbol ish but like for like really, like, vanilla people, Um <laughs> if that doesn't sound really harsh. She wasn't overly sexualized, but she was really cute, and she was very attractive. Mm-hmm. So they had, like, the right level of sex appeal so that it didn't seem uh challenging like Madonna did.
1: It's, it's not an um, insult to say she was non-threatening. I mean, that was a really a compliment to her. Girl, I, like no, it's a
2: big compliment, but men are basic. So, yeah. you know, like, men in the 80s were really... And in the nineties and straight men today still baffle me in that they they are ruffled by strong females, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so Great. she had yeah, she had the right balance where she could be like the teen pinup and like the kind of early twenties, like sort of like uh, safe fantasy, I think. Um and she had the neighbours connection, so she was like the girl next door, but like the girl that you kinda had the hots for. Um, the songs were absolutely amazing like all of those stock Aiken Waterman hits in though it's Stock Aiken Waterman that their the hit songs for her were just perfect you know perfect pop songs on the radio like absolutely all the time she was in every magazine about music um she nailed it they really captured the the UK for like most of the of that decades and from the first single until you know, the the weird indie album, which did throw people a lot. Um,
0: Impossible Princess.
2: Yeah. So just before <laughs> that, like, I think it was um, Word Is Out was the album where people started being weird about Kylie mm-hmm. in the UK, where she left Stock Akeman, Watermodel, PWL, and, yeah. and did other stuff. It was a great record, but didn't have the kind of immediate bubblegum pop hits so people didn't really know what was happening. And then there was the Nick Cave song, and she was dating Michael Hutchins, and then she made, like, a an, a weird indie, half techno, half, like, Manic Street Preachers record, and a song with Toa Tei called German Bold Italic, and people were just like, what is happening? <laughs> um, but, yeah, Kylie '80s, absolute icon, absolute diva, pop print, pop princess. She was basically, like, the Princess Diana of the music world. And What's that's your- not... That's not even an exaggeration.
0: What's your go-to? Is she someone that ends up in your DJ sets? And if so, All what songs? What songs do you play?
2: <sighs> I do tend to play more modern Kylie. I think so. I play my favorite album of hers is Light Years, which was two thousand or two thousand one. Uh, so like spinning around on a night like this. Um, from the eighties, I would play "Hand on Hand on Your Heart." Mm-hmm. Um, not "I Should Be So Lucky." Um, like early nineties, like shocked. What do I have to do? Um, Oh my God. Just like, you could pick anything. If I'm DJing in the UK, I could pick anything from her debut single up until, you know, two albums ago. And Pretty much the same reaction.
0: Because it sort of ties into another, someone that I would consider a diva and also definitely had that girl next door appeal that made her America sweetheart for a while. Did you know that Spinning Around was co-written by Paula Abdul? Yes. Well, you, of course you knew that, but maybe yes. people listening did not know, so. Do you know um, what, what was fact. even
2: weirder, when Kylie had the comeback and Spinning Around went to number one, people were like, oh, didn't see that coming. Even more so, people like Paula Abdul covered that, and everyone was like, what? <laughs> yeah.
0: Apparently the song was originally supposed to be for her. I'm not exactly, for Paula, I'm not exactly sure, like, why it ended up being given to Kylie instead. But Paula, again, going back to what I was saying, she's a diva. Not because she's a great singer, but, you know, when you think about her visual influence in the yes. late 80s. Oh, for every yeah. Girl, Yeah, I mean... She not just not just with her own stuff like the cold hearted bossy esque video or like opposites attract or all of her videos straight Janet up Jackson with the, the J- Jackson stuff. I mean, she yeah. choreographed those videos from control. Yeah. I actually interviewed Paula once where she said she choreographed the video for I don't remember if it was the video for control or what have you done for me, but one of those videos she was still a Laker girl at the time. And she was living as a roommate in an apartment with two other Laker girls. She did all the choreography in like the kitchen in front of a full length mirror. She didn't have any space. The kitchen was like the best place to go. She had all that choreography in front of the mirror. She also choreographed torture by the Jacksons. Take, Not maybe her best work, but, you know, she did that. So but, she, had, uh,
1: she had to work with the Michael Jackson mannequin.
0: She did, the wax dummy, she did
1: She's previously not in the video It's a mannequin standing there for you Wild
0: But, I mean, you know, dance videos Obviously in the 80s were a big deal Madonna, you know, was a huge part of that But I think if you're thinking about the two artists The MTV female diva icons That, like, kind of Besides Madonna That personified the look of dance On MTV It was Paula And it was, of course, Janet I mean, Janet You know, staying power wise, like, you know, it's her, her discography's a little, you know, weightier, shall we a say, stronger, a, lot yeah. weight, a little stronger. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about Paula because I do think she had that, like, that girl next door thing. She was real small. She, like, danced mm-hmm. with a cartoon cat. She was, like, cute. She's very pretty, but she wasn't, she wasn't threatening, I guess.
2: She had the Kylie appeal, I think. Like, if you put her and Kylie next to each other, they're like Trojan horses where, people think of them as very unassuming and you look and they're like, oh, that's a nice girl. And then it's like, boom, there's the talent. You're like, oh Christ. Um, I think like, if you looked at Paula, you would, people would not assume that she had that choreography talent in her and the ability to be like, she didn't write the hits from her debut album, but she is also a songwriter. So there's so much more going on behind uh, the, like I laugh because the photographer in the back of that debut album is just so grotesque. It looks like, it looks like, you know, theater school headshots. It's really, it's, it <laughs> yeah. really breaks my heart, um, honestly. But she does look very happy. It's an incredible record. I love the album and she is absolutely a diva and an icon. Like I, I love Paula Abdul, but absolutely. she did have that, you know, like unassuming mm-hmm. um, sweet girl uh, thing, which disarms the, the kind of like basic bros, I guess. And she just broke the charts.
0: I do also want to say, since a lot of people don't, you know, they might know, they might know or assume that she choreographed her own videos. They might, they might. A lot of people probably know that she choreographed a lot of ja- videos, like "What Have You Done for Me?" Control. She did uh, "When I Think of You," but she choreographed the coming to America mm-hmm. uh, wedding sequence. She was Wild. a choreographer. She was a choreographer for George Michael's Faith tour. She was, she choreographed a couple different awards or things like the Under the Sea performance from Little Mermaid on the Oscars. She choreographed, uh, obviously, like I said, her own videos. There's um, a couple other, oh, she choreographed the, the dance scene at F.A.O. Schwartz on the, on the, in Big. on the, <laughs> Did on she? The, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So she, like, you know, maybe, and that's why people have to remember when um, she went on American Idol, when they were first coming up with american idol in 2002 she was the star of that panel it was mm-hmm. not brandy jackson he was a behind the scenes guy it was not simon cowell who obviously became the star but she was the star power and it was because of that and she didn't really get taken seriously on that show but when she did was later a judge on so you think you could dance she like knew her shit so like i yeah. you know i'm not gonna say she's a whitney houston south singer but you know Mad respect for the choreography. Okay, I can see how the way this conversation is going. We are going to have to totally make this a two-parter. So thanks again today to our special guest, Rod Thomas, AKA Bright Light. Bright Light, I can extend an invitation for you to join us for part two. That's a nod, that's a yes. All right. <laughs> that's Oh, this is a definite yes. <laughs> Awesome. We'll see you then. I'm Lindsay Parker. I've been joined today by the other John Hughes and we want to thank you for listening. Remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and we'll catch you next time. This was totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at totally 80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform until our next episode. Catch you on the flip side.